From the News and Observer in Raleigh, North Carolina, I'm Jonathan Alexander. And I'm Jonas Pope IV. And you're listening to Sports Now. All right, so we're back for another episode. Me, Jonathan Alexander, and Jonas Pope IV here with a special guest, a returnee. His Our name first returnee. Our first returnee, that is right. I'm a two-time returnee now. Two-time returnee. His name is... Joe Gillio. Was Joe our first guest? No, Steve was our first guest. Yeah, Joe was, uh, I think, our third guest. Okay, yeah. So we're going back around the rotation now. Joe is famously known for the yellow pad, and he is uh, back on the NC State beat. I am. I'm confused. I'm. You got me turned around, and I know you're turned around. So <laughs> A little bit. <laughs> <laughs> you ever thought about starting a podcast called the Yellow Pad Podcast? I'm, it's in play. There you go. If I had any podcasting skills, I'd be all over it. <laughs> That'd be really good. That's a good idea. A um, couple of news things that happened last week. Uh, one in particular was that the FBI uh, released a amended uh, their amended documents and a player, uh, a new player and school named in the documents. Well, the school named in the documents was NC State. The player was not named and the coaches would not was not named, but. Uh, the profile fit that of Dennis Smith Jr. So, Joe, can you tell us uh, what those documents revealed? Well, the documents themselves. So what was new there was that there was a coach at NC State involved in the payment to Dennis Smith during his recruitment. Now, previous to this, we had seen a Yahoo report that uh, Andy Miller, who's an agent involved in this case, kind of at the center of this case, had made different payments to Dennis Smith um, through Christian Dawkins. And while he was being recruited and while he was playing on the AAU circuit, he was in the Adidas circuit. His dad was his coach, actually. Um, so it's not totally dissimilar to Marvin Bagley and his dad with Duke and Nike. Um, but for whatever reason, <laughs> as the FBI uncovered, um, there was an NC State coach, and they subpoenaed records for Mark Godfrey, who was the head coach, and Orlando Early, the assistant coach. So I, I think it's fair to say it's one of those two. Um, was involved in a $40,000 payment after Smith had committed in October of 2015. And so if you're thinking about this in terms of NCAA-wise... If you're NC State and a, and a player got paid before he got to your school and you didn't know anything about it, you didn't knowingly use an ineligible player, you're probably, relatively speaking, not going to get in trouble with the NCAA. But the second you have a coach involved in a payment, and also that also means you knowingly used an ineligible player, that opens up the door for more types of punishment for NC State, even though... Uh, both Early and Gottfried are, are gone, have been fired. And Dennis is already in the NBA on his way, making his money. So that part of the revelation from the FBI, now again, still has to be proved in a court of law. And uh, the connection would have to be made you know, legally with NC State. But their appearance there is, is truly going to be problematic for NC State with the NCAA when it finally gets to that phase of the case. Before I get into the possible uh, sanctions, can you tell me a little bit about Dennis Smith and uh, his recruitment to NC State and what he meant 
to in sure. state being able to grab him? I mean, he was a hot shot recruit um, out of Fayetteville. Uh, like I said, played for his dad for Team Loaded. Everybody wanted him. Um, explosive, raw talent. If you think about it, try thinking of Dennis when nobody could scout for him and nobody prepared for him. That's what AAU basketball is. There's, there's no scouting. There's no preparing. You put the ball out there, and then the, the talent rises to the top. And he was dominant. Um, he played out the Adidas Nations before he got hurt, um, before his senior year. He, he was one of the best players out there. I mean, you saw his name as the number one overall pick, projected as the number one overall pick in the draft. Then he tore his ACL and his left knee in California at Adidas Nations. And it was interesting in the sense that even previous to that, Duke had kind of made their peace with Derek Thornton. Remember, Derek Thornton played in the USA basketball program, um, and Dennis Smith did not. Mm-hmm. That's why Dennis was healthy. Um, so you could see how the, the tide was flowing there, Duke making their choice for whatever reason. Um, it could have been Duke's not an Adidas school, and, and Dennis was playing for an Adidas program at the time, his AAU team. Um, it could have been they liked Thornton as a uh, pass-first type of point guard better. I don't know. Like, Dennis is an explosive scorer. He's not necessarily what you would think of as a classic point guard. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's interesting that Duke was kind of out of the mix. Carolina had recruited him, but they had Joel Berry. Um, even on that team, while they were, he was, they were never able to overlap. But they had Marcus Page. You know, they seem yeah. to be have their own guards going their own way. Seventh Woods, um, they bought in in the same class. So, um, you know, they, I think Carolina kind of got out of the one and done business in the sense that I think every good one and done player was recruited against them by saying you're going to get in trouble or, or if you're a one and done guy and there's a chance that you won't be eligible the team won't be eligible for the NCAA tournament you don't want to spend your one year in college I think that that was actually Carolina's punishment for the academic scandal mm. was for all those years now we see Nasir Little who I can't imagine is not a one and done player yeah. finally kind of opening up that Maybe a floodgate again for for Carolina Roy Williams now that they're out of the NCAA issues. Um, so I think it came down to Kentucky, and, and even Kentucky at that point had De'Aaron Fox and Malik Monk. So it's interesting that he goes back and, and asks for more money and says, "I'm not <laughs> happy with my recruitment." When if you think about it, at that time he hurt his knee, mm-hmm. and certainly people recover from knee injuries faster at a faster rate than they did. Five to ten years ago, yeah. um, but he's coming off a major knee surgery. He's kind of out of not out of options. I don't want to paint that picture because Kentucky certainly was an option, um, but Kentucky's not an Adidas school. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, th- I always got the sense that Dennis wanted to play in this state, being from this state, wanted to showcase. Obviously, his Fayetteville roots. He's always been fairly upfront and prominent about that. Um, so I mean, like. I know Louisville is another Adidas school, or Kansas certainly at some point would have had some interest, but I don't know. I'm not really sure at that point in his recruitment what were other real, you know, if it came down to it, yeah, what was where was he really going to go? Um, so I think in that sense, and remember, he couldn't play a senior year of high school, 
So he ended up enrolling in January in 16 uh, of his senior year in high school at State and rehabbed uh, the knee. And, and at some point there, I thought he might actually even try to play that first half a season there, but he did not. Um, could have been a half and done there. It would have been an interesting <laughs> twist. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it was interesting how he got here. Obviously, now you can connect some dots. But I don't think top 20, top 10 recruits, it's not unusual to have a parent or an AAU coach involved with a sneaker company. Uh, it's above board to say, um, we're going to pay your team. Mm-hmm. and it, But now how much do you pay the team? Because yeah. it costs a lot of money to send these teams to, yeah. to Dallas, to Indy, to Vegas, to uh, Adidas Nations. I mean... That's all above board, which is kind of where you have to think NC State, if you're looking at this somewhat cynically but also realistically, if you're allowed to pay the dad, if Adidas is allowed to pay the dad or Nike is allowed to pay the dad, then why did NC State have to get involved in that? Hmm. That part of it is kind of, you have to think, is a little bit... And I know it doesn't sound very honest yeah. to say, well, that, that happens. Or, or why did you allow this to happen? Or how did you err in this happening? But that, to me, seems like the big mistake on NC State's part. And obviously, having a coach involved in, in any kind of payment is is a bad. And the real issue, too, I know I'm, I'm talking long here. No, you're good. The real issue, too, is because in, 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 everything in our area is about Carolina and, and State and Duke. Previously with Corey McGetty or Lance Thomas, and you think, well, they didn't get in trouble. Well, guess who was not involved in those previous cases? The FBI. Oh, yeah, that too. Subpoena power. <laughs> that too. The NCAA is completely inept, or is not interested in getting their own schools in trouble. Is the truth? They don't have subpoena power. This is the FBI. This is not, you know, some blowhard from you know Indianapolis coming in and, and telling Robert Quinn, "Show me your phone." You know, whatever. Yeah. shenanigans they pulled it with Carolina early on in that football investigation. This is the actual government mm-hmm. subpoena power, court records. Um, and that, again, that's problematic for NC State because it's not as some NC State fans will cry, oh, Carolina screwed up for 18 years or cheated for 18 years. Well, the FBI was never involved in that. Yeah, It's almost like uh, taking what you just said, that the coach, alleged coach was a like, Unnecessary middleman when he really didn't have to be. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and then you've tried to get in touch with uh, Coach Early and Coach Godfrey. Have they responded? No, you know I text them fairly regularly now uh, <laughs> with the same. Hey man, checking in. You know, saw the news today. Looking for a comment here. And in the last round, I said, if you have a lawyer, uh, I'd be happy to contact your lawyer. Um, but it's interesting. Mark said uh, Cal State Northridge now got another job, which, which, which I am is unbelievable. About. I am kind of sort of a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> a little uh, bit. Now there were some connections there that, that helped him get the job, but uh, you know that's actually really good for NC State to have some of his money off the books. But yeah, I mean the thing about it being a legal issue too is this is not an NCAA issue, and you can't bluff your way out of this either. You know, I mean, I, I think one thing from the UNC case was 
they didn't say anything until they had to say something. And even then, what they did was found – it's not a loophole. It was a rule, and they took advantage of the rule. So I just – with the FBI, I just don't see loopholes. Yeah. So what are some – if any, what are some possible – uh, say all this is found to be true or some possible sanctions NC State could face? Yeah, I mean, it's all in play um, from a postseason ban to scholarship reductions to, um, you know, well, they didn't play in the NCAA tournament, so there's no money to pay back from an NCAA tournament appearance. Um, I don't know if they could go after their conference share. That seems a little punitive. Um, I mean, it's likely... That one thing that could help NC State is they're not the only school involved. And by that I mean when the NCAA can really zero in on you, like a Reggie Bush or Derek Rose case, and they have you dead to rights, that's when they kind of try to throw a hammer. In this, you're going to have, I mean, we've already got, what, five, six, seven, eight schools between the four assistant coaches who were arrested and now these other four schools that are involved in potentially paying players, um, either directly or tangentially. And I don't know how the NCAA, but it'll depend on what uh, Condoleezza Rice and her group kind of comes out with at the end in two weeks and says, here's what we think you should do to clean up college basketball. Um, if they think trying to make an example of Miami, Louisville, Arizona, Oklahoma State, Auburn, NC State, Kansas. Kansas is the way to go. Well, then maybe they'll try to hammer those eight, nine, ten teams. I don't know. I don't know that. It, but I do think it does help. There's a little bit of misery loves company here for the Wolfpack. That I, I do think that it's not an isolated, as bad as it looks right now, mm-hmm. to have a coach involved. I do think there is a, a bright spot in the sense that they aren't the only school involved. When Dennis Smith signed or committed. I mean, we all know you were covering state then. Well, you're back to covering state now. But um, when Dennis Smith signed the committee, did you get a lot of uh, emails or phone calls or just people walking up to you like, how did they get this kid? Like, like he was a top, like I said, he was a top flight guy, you know, top recruit. State had some high, you know, some good players sure. come in under Godfrey, but they didn't get like this type of player. Like he's supposed to be, he was supposed to be a game changer. Yeah. Anytime I think a top 20, 10 player commits to somewhere other than Duke. Kentucky, Carolina, Kansas. You're going to have those fan bases say, oh, that kid was paid. And anytime a kid goes to really anywhere now, you really should have a, uh, some skepticism in the back of your mind that says, now, how do you get, you know, player X from this portion of the country to player to this part, of, you know, to a different part of the country? It's all, look, I think we should all. Mike Krzyzewski said this at the very beginning. The players are being paid before they get to college and after they go to college. And it's interesting how to try to figure out how to have them be involved in some sort of revenue while they're in college. I think is perhaps what that commission's conclusion should be is working towards that end because it's true you can't police summer basketball mm-hmm. pretty much any more than you already are and like we're seeing again in the Bagley case there is no NCAA rule that prevents 
a family member from being paid by the sneaker company. Uh, I shouldn't single out Bagley, the the Josh Jackson at uh, right. yeah. Kansas. Kansas. His mom was involved on, on two different sneaker companies. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, that's above board. So, and it, and when I say paid, you know, if a team gets paid to travel and, and to eat and, and everything else, then you know, yeah, that's part of the show. Yeah, for sure. And also, you said um, you wrote a story about uh, Debbie Al's response. What was her response? Yeah, it's interesting. You know, Debbie's always tried to be conscientious about how NC State goes about their business. And it's hard because there are so many moving parts. But anytime, you know, and they, they went through a lot of this with David Amerson, a football player who was projected to be a first-round pick out of Greensboro. And they had problems with C.J. Leslie and with the same runner, uh, Eric Leak, who's actually a former NC State football player. Um, and it's, you know, one of the reasons they said they wanted to build the basketball dorm was to keep agents away from players. Yeah. Um, yeah I, good I, luck with that. Yeah, I, I think <laughs> I think Debbie's always kind of gone through her due diligence as someone who's you know was at Maryland for as long as she was, and now has been at NC State for as long as she has. Um, and I think they genuinely mean what they say. Particularly, I think when you see some of the problems, not just the Carolina, but Louisville. Uh, Miami, you know, Syracuse, they, he's kind of had its share of problems recently. And I think all of them, all of the other schools in the ACC go, I don't want to, you know, do come sure is included in that group. It, you know, you don't want to have to go through that kind of problem. But it's also a stain on your own reputation. And I think um, it'll be interesting to see how NC State handles now their turn in this investigative spotlight. Um, it'll be interesting to see what their responses to our different inquiries that we have and will make as a paper. Um, we can certainly compare and contrast with what they did at Carolina. Yeah. Well, we look forward to hearing more about this story. Uh, before you go. Yes, sir. Uh, we know that uh, Omir Yurt7 uh, recently uh, transferred the announced he was transferring announced. to Georgetown. Yeah, yeah, and and I understand you spoke to him. I did, I did. Omir's a Omir's a good dude. I, I, I guess I don't quite understand. You know, he had a really good year at NC State, uh, way better than his freshman year, and had a chance to go to the pros. I don't know where he would have been drafted, but why go transfer to Georgetown and then you're going to have to sit out a year um, instead of going to the pros or Europe? You know where he's from. You know what did he say? He said, well, last year when he went into the draft and came back, he said he didn't want to go back to Turkey and play. Where He played for his club team for three years. Said he doesn't want to go back and do that. Okay, so now his goal is the NBA. And he said this time, he said he didn't think he was ready. Even if he was drafted in the first round, he wants to make an impact when he gets to the NBA. He felt the best way to do that was to go and play for Patrick Ewing at Georgetown. Now, if that's what you believe, and and you're on, that's the path you want to take. You know, via Con Dios. If he had stayed at NC State, he had a good year this year. There's every shot in the world, you know, on next year's roster for him. Um, so it's interesting to your point. You're gonna have to sit out, and you start wondering about how old you are and all this other stuff. But 
if you truly believe it, and and Omir is a very smart kid. Um, if you have a path laid out in front of you and you believe this is my best shot, then I think you take it. Um, and it'll be interesting to see because Patrick Ewing has only been at Georgetown for a year. They don't. They did not have a tournament team this year. I'm not sure they will by the time um, he's eligible. Um, so it's an interesting gamble because I think with Omir, I think State is a tournament team, one of the top four teams in the ACC next year. Mm. Without them, they're going to need either a grad transfer or one of their freshmen uh, or newcomers to really be better than probably they are in real life. Yeah. <laughs> um, now, I like the way you worded there. No, <laughs> better than they are in real life. <laughs> I mean, that does happen. Guys will sneak up on you. Um, but you would certainly rather have the bird in the hand with Omir and his 14 points a game than to try to have to bank on one of those three new big newcomers to uh, to try to get 12 and 7 or 12 and 8, which is a tall task. Yeah, it is. We've seen. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, doesn't matter where you are. Yeah. I mean, do Carolina? I mean, Carolina's bigs could have a better year next year, but they would—they were not capable of stepping into that void this year. Um, we've seen Marcus Bolden now flounder for two years, even though next year he could have a mm-hmm. outstanding year as Duke's lone pivot. Um, so yeah, I mean, Derek Funderbook, Burke, Ian Steer, Manny Bates, maybe a, maybe a grad transfer. Um, it'll be interesting. I, I know NC State would have felt a lot better about their odds with Omir than they do without them. For sure, for sure. Well, thank you, Joe. We appreciate you uh, coming back on the show. It's always a pleasure. Thank you, gents. Thanks. All right, so we have an update to the story that we've been talking about in NC State, you know, receiving a subpoena from the FBI and the involvement with Dennis Smith Jr., And the update is that North Carolina State Chancellor Randy Woodson has released a statement and a timeline of some of the events that that occurred over the past few months. So so we're here with Chip Alexander, Hurricanes beat reporter, ACC Enterprise reporter. Chip, uh, what, what do we know? Well, I think NC State, and they're saying they're trying to be more transparent about all the things that happened involving Dennis Smith. You know, put out, uh, as you said, a, a, a statement today in a timeline, statement from Randy Woodson. And I think one of the biggest things to come out of it is the fact that it looks as if this all began when a, uh, a registered agent in North Carolina named Gary Shipman, who lives in Wilmington, is an attorney in Wilmington, uh, had been involved with uh, maybe trying to get um, – connected to Dennis Smith and maybe represent him in some way. And in the course of doing that, he had he had learned that, in his words, that perhaps there was a bidding war going on between Nike and Adidas in trying to get Dennis Smith to sign with one or the other, or certainly to lead him to play for a school that was represented by one or the other. And so Gary Shipman contacted NC State and kind of said, here's the information I have. And they later uh, interviewed him again to try to get more information, and then NC State passed that along to the uh, Raleigh uh, agent of the FBI. So that kind of got the whole thing started. I think that's the new part of this story that we did not know until today. And what month was that again? <laughs> that was in October. In fact, I think that he contacted NC State middle October, October 19th, around that date, and then uh, they interviewed him uh, about six days later, NC State did. Uh, he contacted the general counsel's office at NC State. So that kind of jump-started the whole thing. Yeah. It appears that way anyway. 
So I know uh, <clears throat> News and Observer reporters have been um, requesting uh, with North Carolina State, you know, mm-hmm. are you all involved in this? Um, and North Carolina State has said no. So where is the mix-up with that? I think part of that, and looking at this timeline again, and, and it reiterates the fact that when the uh, subpoena was given to NC State, the grand jury subpoena in January, uh, there was a request for a confidentiality there. And I think NC State tried to honor that request as best they could and keeping it a small group of people that were involved in looking into the, you know, the issues with compliance and uh, certainly with the Dennis Smith investigation, those kind of things. But there was that confidentiality uh, uh, request, and it was kept until March uh, when, obviously, the Washington Post had, had made this blanket request to various schools, have you had any contact with the FBI or the grand jury? And NC State finally said, uh, yes, we have received the subpoena. So I think it wasn't so much them trying to hide anything as it was them trying to honor the request of the grand jury subpoena. What does is, what is this latest development add mm-hmm. to the overall scope of the story? Well, I think it, it kind of shows how it all got started, perhaps. The one thing that's still unknown, even after the agent, Gary Shipman, you know, called NC State and told them what he knew, and they relayed that to the FBI, and then the FBI investigation went on from there, we're not quite sure if, if that was the genesis of the whole thing that started the whole thing or if that just added on to something the FBI already knew, and that was just one more thing you know, more information to add to their case. But uh, certainly it's, it's something that's new that came out today. I don't think anybody heard of Gary Shipman, or I mean, certainly not his part in this whole investigation, but certainly now he's a central figure in it. Mm-hmm. What, what are some more <clears throat> of the highlights of the timeline that, that Chancellor Woodson released? Well, I think one of the things, that, one of the questions that's come out is, you know, in I think it was February of the 19th, uh, Coach Kevin Keats came forward and was asked about the FBI investigation and at that time said that, you know, we're 100%, we're not involved, we haven't, uh, I, don't, I don't think we have any concerns at all about NC State. And certainly after that was when it was learned that NC State had received the subpoena in January, almost a month before Kevin Keats made those comments. And that was first on the uh, ACC conference call and then with Steve Wiseman of our, of our paper in a follow-up interview. He said the same things. And so, you know, after the fact, you wonder, is there a disconnect? What happened there? Why was Kevin Keats saying those things a month after NC State had received the subpoena? And I think in the timeline itself that we were provided, NC State once again stressed that they, they kept it to such a small group of people who were in the know of what was going on that even the coaches and athletes weren't advised that the subpoena had come to NC State in January. I, I still can't imagine Coach Keats is happy that he went in front right. of the whole media and told the whole world that that they weren't involved at all and come to find out that they did have some involvement. Right. Almost immediately after that was when you learned the subpoena had been there for a month. But uh, certainly NC State tried to explain that in this timeline they provided today of what happened. And it was just a small group of people, according to NC State, that knew what was happening. And that did not include Kevin Keats and some of the other athletic spokesmen. Hmm. So that kind of helps Keats uh, save face just, just a little bit. Cause he wasn't. They said he wasn't in the right. know about it. So yeah. he came out and said it in front of us. <laughs> the timeline makes it look like that did know, but okay. But he really well, yeah. If I'm the coach, I'm I'm asking questions of why wasn't I in the know? Right. Even if I was told not to say anything, I could always go in front of the media and say, "Hey, I'm not allowed to comment. This is still an ongoing situation, maybe." But uh, I think 
that the, the request was so strong from the U.S. Uh, Attorney's Office about keeping everything confidential that NC State tried to honor that request as best they could and keep it as, as small a group as possible. Is, is there anything else that we didn't ask that? I don't think so. I think, like I say, it was almost like the, the new information today was on the front end of how this whole thing got started with the agent calling NC State. Certainly that was a, a part of how it all got started. I don't think NC State had heard much about this. Uh, until October. Certainly the stories had already circulated. Uh, I think Yahoo was already, obviously the, the attorney had already announced the investigation, the FBI investigation. And I think though that this was one of the first times where NC State actually had somebody calling them saying, I have some information you need to know. Mm-hmm. All very interesting. Thanks, Chip. Okay, thank you. Sure. Yep. Okay, here's what else you need to know. Wendell Carter, uh, Duke freshman Wendell Carter, Uh, declared or announced that he was going to declare for the NBA draft on Monday afternoon. He was the last of the Duke freshmen uh, to declare after Marvin Bagley, Trayvon Duvall, Gary Trent Jr. to announce that they were declaring, which was surprising because uh, Carter was projected to be a top 10 pick. Um, I spoke to his mom uh, the day before, a couple, a few days, no, Friday, and she said that um, her son was really struggling with this decision, which is, uh, which is surprising, a little bit surprising me, kind of not surprising because academics is very important uh, in that family. But, you know, you think when you're a top guarantee, you're projected to be a lottery pick in the top 10. I saw somewhere as high as number six. Why would you stay uh, at school another year? What did, you, what did you think about that, Jonas? I don't. You know, this whole time I kept asking you, like, why is he not announced yet? Like, what is he waiting on? Mm-hmm. I think Duke really just wanted to spray these guys out and give each guy their shine. Yeah, and that's and what I, I thought. And I think it kind of worked out. If you realize, yesterday was also uh, Wendell's birthday. So he announced on his birthday. Yeah. So I mean, I think it was a uh, strategy on Duke part to kind of give each guy their moment. Uh-huh. So he kind of spaced it out. I think he's probably been ready to announce. That's just my personal opinion. Yeah. I mean, like you said, you're a, you're a lottery pick projected like what are you struggling with yeah <laughs> you know so i, I think we just on duke say let's, let's space us out and give each guy their moment mm-hmm. and just when they came last i just think it was well maybe like i said maybe he just wanted to wait for his birthday yeah make that special announcement but it was i think duke just wanted to spread it out give each guy their time yeah like I, I'm, I'm glad he that he takes academics seriously right but you know if you're staying for school right that would mean you're trying to get your degree so you would stay for you know Three, four three years, years at least. Right. However long it takes you to get your degree, it doesn't make sense for you know Wendell to stay that long when he's his his stock is not going to increase. It's it's, it's only going to decrease. I I think. Um, yeah. you, the longer you stay. Um. So from that standpoint, I didn't understand why he was, you know, why he was struggling with that decision. Um. But you know, he he struggled with the decision of of going to Duke or Harvard. Yeah, I me- I remember that. Yeah, yeah. I, don't, I don't know what the struggle was there. I mean, if, you, if he was going to go to Harvard and only stay one year, then you might as well just go anywhere. Yeah. So I figure I feel like he, if he would have gone to Harvard, he, he should have stayed four years if he would have gone to Harvard yeah. to get that Harvard degree. But it doesn't matter now. Yeah, he's going to get that money now. Right. <laughs> well, thanks for listening. Check back with us for another episode of Nando's Sports Now podcast. I'm Jonathan Alexander. And I'm Jonas Pope IV. Signing out. <laughs>